Ladies and gents, my name is Brandon Stover. Welcome to the How to Solve Climate Change course from Plato University. Causes, systems, obstacles, solutions to this global challenge is what you're going to learn here today. When you're ready to learn more skills, join us for free at Plato.University. Let's get started with today's lesson. We'll have our expert guests briefly introduce themselves and their credentials for why they are able to speak to this topic. Hi, so my name is Roland Horn. I'm professor of energy science and engineering here at Stanford University, and I'm the director of the Stanford Geothermal Program. Um, Stanford Geothermal Program has been in existence for about 50 years, and I have been its director for about 30 of those 50 years, including the last 30. Could you explain to us what geothermal energy is from a first principles perspective? Well, geothermal energy is the heat of the earth. And the, the, the way in which we most commonly think about it is recovering the heat of the earth and converting it to useful uh, applications, commonly either in the form of electricity, converting the heat to electricity, or as a second path, using the heat directly, for example, for heating buildings or for drying crops or for industrial applications like uh, pulp and paper mills and things like that. Why would geothermal energy be a possible solution to help solve climate change? Geothermal energy is a renewable energy, so that's sort of fundamentally good to begin with. It, it has very low carbon emissions. It, it doesn't produce any large amounts of carbon dioxide. So it's a substitute for you know, fossil fuel generated electricity, for example, or the direct use of heat. It's also a different format of renewable energy than the intermittent sources that we, we use like wind and solar. So geothermal can be, can be operated you know, any time, day or night, any month and any year. So it's a, it's a stable base load electricity source if we talk about electricity applications and therefore it provides a very strong backup for intermittent sources like wind and solar not a substitute but they work together in a way that would be advantageous to allow for larger amounts of intermittent electricity to be on our grid for example you know geothermal by itself has supplied substantial fractions of uh, electricity in quite a number of places uh, importantly, here in California, 6% of our electricity comes from geothermal. In our neighboring state of Nevada, 10% of the electricity comes from geothermal. And there are countries like New Zealand generates 22% of its electricity from geothermal. And Iceland actually produces two-thirds, 67% of all of its primary energy, which includes heating as well. From, from geothermal. And why would geothermal maybe not work to help solve climate change or where does it fall short? It doesn't really, in terms of solving climate change, it doesn't really have any downside. There are some aspects to the deployment of geothermal energy that can be something that we need to work around. You know, I mentioned a few minutes ago that geothermal is base load, which 20 years ago was a good thing because it meant that you could keep it on the grid all the time. However, in today's grids, where we have large amounts of wind and solar, both intermittent, baseload power is no longer what the grids actually want. 
they want variable power and dispatchable power and being base load at the moment at least limits the application you know how much geothermal you could have on your grid the the nature of the geothermal resource is that it likes to be on all of the time 100% and if you have a large amount of electricity that you have to take all of the time that can be a challenge for the grid there there is solution in sight for that which is storage that the, the same aspect is true for nuclear energy they the nuclear power plant also wants to be running 100% of the time as well so those kind of base load sources in a largely intermittent grid are going to require uh, storage of some kind as we go forward in the future and that's something that we already know how to do state of california you know at a particular maximum of a day might have as much as 2000 megawatts being supplied into the grid from battery storage and that's likely to get larger in the future and that's like likely to be the case for other states as well that that just to put that in context that's 2000 megawatts out of a grid which on a daily basis is probably averaging about 35000 megawatts okay. and you know as a maximum california we might go to 50000 megawatts looking at the different stakeholders that are in the energy industry and us as people who benefits most and maybe who's harmed most by geothermal energy as a solution well of course the consumers i think are the people who benefit the most and the people who inhabit the planet because it's a you know it's a carbon free or carbon low uh, source i don't think there are too many people who are actually hurt by it the, the land use for geothermal energy is quite modest there are some interactions in some cases with their local communities in the to a sort of nearby to geothermal implementations there is a concern in some cases for induced seismicity but that generally just affects people who are just close to it and could you explain the process of how the heat from the earth is turned into the electricity that i turn my light on in my home so the geothermal resource as is almost all rock everywhere in the world is saturated with water and so that water which is sitting inside of the permeable rocks is heated up by the geothermal source and is either in place as hot water or in some cases directly as steam so the way that we deploy a geothermal electrical generation system is we drill wells into the ground 2000 meters 3000 meters something like that you know 7 8000 feet and we produce that water and or steam to the surface and then we put it basically directly into either a steam turbine or a binary turbine and generate uh, electricity directly so it, in some ways it's like a gas fired power plant without the boiler so instead of having a boiler and a flame that the steam is generated by the the heat of earth or steam plant and you mentioned storage earlier are there any other innovations or maybe policy or things that need to be created for this to be an optimal solution well storage i think is is the principal one one of the other sort of policy issues that goes around geothermal is the 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 uncertainty and lead time issue 
So a geothermal power plant takes several years to actually bring into operation. And that's associated with the actual process of exploring and drilling and analyzing the resource to figure out how big it is and how it should best be produced in an optimal way. And the length of time that that takes ends up, of course, costing quite a lot of money because of the, you know, the duration. You, you're, you're expending money for that process, but you're not getting anything back until a power plant is actually built. So in terms of policy and legislation, what has been useful in a number of places, including here in the US, is mechanisms to actually encourage that process, either by mitigating some of the risk, for example, in the form of feed-in tariffs that actually you know, provide some certainty to what the actual income is going to be, or in some cases, legislation that actually the, the grids to accept a certain amount of, of power of certain kinds. It's not done in the US, but it does has been done in other places. What are the best resources to learn more about geothermal in terms of its relation to climate change? There is a geothermal association, many of them actually, but the one in the United States, which is also simultaneously an international organization, is called Geothermal Rising. And so they actually sponsor conferences and workshops and information sessions and things like that. So Geothermal Rising exists largely to to create a community for geothermal energy, mostly in the United States, but also worldwide. So they, they've created some training tools, workshops, and things like that. Right now, you're speaking to passionate students who want to actually solve problems like these. What top three skills should they study so that they actually have the ability to do so? There are many, actually. So there, there is a place for people with many different skills in the geothermal community. I myself am an engineer. I'm a reso engineer is my particular uh, variant of engineering. And the reso engineer's job is to actually measure, quantify, analyze, understand, and, and project what the geothermal resource will do in the future and design a system that will be suitable for that. So it, the reso engineer is looking at subsurface, but there are many other kinds of engineers involved in the process too. There are drilling engineers who drill the wells. There are mechanical engineers who design the pipelines and the pumps and the, the equipment that goes into the, the, the construction of a power plant. There are mechanical engineers who are uh, power plant engineers who are working on electrical systems, turbines, turbo machinery. There are civil engineers who are actually designing the structures, the powerhouse buildings, the civil works that go into the development. So those are all the engineers, um, but there's also a lot of work in geothermal for geoscientists, the people who explore for the geothermal resource in the first place geologists, uh, geophysicists, and geochemists, all of them are important in that process too. And then beyond the geosciences and engineering, there's the, the business side of it, the financing, the permitting, the community relationship issues. So there's a whole suite of different skill sets that are used in geothermal development. Any final recommendations for the audience? Sure. Join in. <laughs> Geothermal is, uh, is actually, people think of it as kind of a, a new resource, but it's been around for a long time. 
they say Stanford Geothermal Program has been working it for 50 years, but the industry has been around since before that time. One of the things that I would say, you know, first of all, get involved if you have a skill set that is involved in that. But even for people who are not going to directly involve themselves in the geothermal industry, I would recommend take a look at getting a geothermal heat pump in your house as a replacement for your gas-fired furnace. It's not only zero carbon, it's also a lot more efficient. It will save you money other than the initial cost because you don't have to pay for as much um, energy to actually heat or cool your house. To practice skills related to geothermal energy, research geothermal potential in your region or a specific country, explore available maps and data to identify potential geothermal hotspots, determine the feasibility of tapping into this resource. Thank you for taking the How to Solve Climate Change course. If you want to learn the skills to solve this global challenge, join us for free at Plato.University for exclusive content, extra resources, and actionable exercises with every lesson. This course was produced by Plato University, where students turn passions into purpose and learn skills to change the world. Learn more at Plato.University.